Amen. Well, are you grateful that the Lord is your salvation this morning? Amen. And with that salvation comes a new identity. And with that identity comes inherent responsibility. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of having this opportunity to gather as your children to worship and to glorify you. Father, I just pray now as we open your word, thank you for the clarity of your word, and I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you'll impact us with your word this morning so that we will fulfill the mission who you have called us to be and do in this world. And we ask for your help in this. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Before I get started, I just want to welcome back one of our former youth leaders. It was great to walk in the lobby this morning and see Brett King and Becca King, who the Lord now has serving, making disciples in Kelowna, British Columbia, a beautiful part of our world. So it's great to see uh, Brett and uh, Becca back with us this morning. Well, are you ready to find out who you are? Because that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, because who Jesus says you are makes all the difference in the world. Last week, we looked at the final beatitude that Jesus gave his disciples, and he wanted them to learn about the impact the world was going to have on his followers through insult and through persecution. Well, this morning in the passage of Scripture we're going to look at from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus turns it around, and now he wants to teach his disciples and us today the impact his followers are to have on the world. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. Now, without giving you any background or any details about the photo that is going to be up on the screen here very shortly, you can probably sense the joy and delight in my father as he holds his newest great-granddaughter. And if you're wondering why I'm such a well-mannered, behaved young man, Take a look at the set of hands the Lord gifted my father with. What about emojis and gifts? I'm not a tech person. So if you get one from me, it's probably because my wife sent it on my behalf. All right? But lots of you use these pictures in order to convey a message while you communicate with one another. Well, Jesus was the ultimate communicator. And he knew the effectiveness of creating images in the minds of his listeners, not only so that they would just simply understand what he was teaching them, but the significance of what he was teaching them. You'll see this, for example, in the Gospel of John, where Jesus makes seven I am statements. And he links those statements to relatable things as a way to help highlight his saving mission in the world. He said, I am the bread of life, bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. We'll see together as we look at the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus, that day on the mountainside, wanted to create a picture in his disciples' minds as to what it looks like to be a citizen of his kingdom. And by looking at what he portrayed for them on that Galilean mountainside many years ago will serve us well today so that we will not forget what our identity is as citizens of his kingdom, living in a broken and confused world. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. 
We will be looking at three verses this morning, verses 13 to 16, very familiar verses to the majority of us here this morning. Jesus said to his disciples, this is the picture he was painting for them in their minds. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. In these three verses, Jesus gives two realities and one expectation of kingdom citizenship. The first reality of kingdom citizenship that he declares to his disciples is that Christ followers are the salt of the earth. Now, as we were reading that together, did you notice how clear Jesus was when he told his disciples, you are the salt of the earth? Jesus was not saying that he was hoping they would become the salt of the earth. No, Jesus the king tells his citizens, his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. And this reality was not something that they could choose whether or not they wanted to identify as. It is who Jesus declared his citizens are. And his declaration still applies to any of us who are in the building this morning or any of you who are watching online this morning who are followers of Jesus Christ. We are the salt of the earth. Now, the significance of being identified as salt probably doesn't have the same initial impact on us this morning. We don't hear that and go, yes, right? It doesn't have that same impact on us as it did that day on the disciples. And that's because in the time and place where we live, we are blessed to have lots of different uh, kinds of refrigeration to preserve our food. But for those who were listening to Jesus that day, they completely understood what he was talking about. Because, see, for us, in our time and place that we live in, when we hear of salt, we mainly think of it as a season to enhance flavor. And that it does. Wednesdays is my day off, and Jen works full-time, and so we, uh, we've come to this new understanding that Wednesdays, I'm responsible to make suppers for my family. And uh, this is an interesting discipleship growth journey that the Lord is taking my family on. So last Wednesday, I was left with instructions. There's pork chops on the counter, put them in the container, cover them with uh, mushroom soup, uh, put them in the oven for so long. I did everything amazing. Uh, Jen was working late that night, so I was eating with the kids, and as I sat there and ate it, I thought, this is awful. <laughs> the pork chops tasted like rubber. You had to chew them. I was watching the kids with their knives trying to get through them. But the worst of all, it had no flavor. It was awful. So when Jen came, she said, well, how did it taste? I said, awful. I said, everything right, but there was no flavor. And she said, ah, I forgot to tell you to sear the pork chops first and then season them. Right? I learned right away the importance of how salt serves as a seasoning. But in the time and place where Jesus preached this sermon to his disciples, salt was known to them as one of the most valued commodities. So valuable was it 
in those days that it was actually used as a form of currency in the buying and selling of goods. And did you actually know the word we use, salary, originates from a Latin word called salarium? The first three letters, S-A-L, meaning salt, is the word that was used to refer to salt as a currency. So do you see how when Jesus tells his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, he clearly wanted them to understand in a way that they could relate to just how valuable and influential they were in the world as citizens of his kingdom. As I was studying this week, I think this reality of the significant value and influence Christ says his disciples, you and I, have as citizens in the kingdom, citizens of his kingdom in the world, is something we need to re-embrace. It's something we need to recognize. It's something we need to act on. We are the salt of the, wor- of the earth, and we have a key and critical role to play in this world. Often due to the brokenness of the world we live in, it just seems easier, doesn't it, sometimes, to just stick together, mind our own business, enjoy our fellowship, and just let the world around us go on with their lives. Wouldn't that just be so much easier? But this is not the picture that we see King Jesus painting for his disciples as to how citizens of his kingdom are to live in this world. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The salt metaphor Jesus used for his disciples that day informed them and it informs us today that our lives in God's eyes are extremely critical and important in this world right now. I know we all are looking forward to what Revelation 21 says is coming in the future. The new heaven, the new earth. He will wipe away every tear. There'll be more, no more dying, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And that is coming. But let's not focus on that so much that we underestimate the critical role Jesus our King says we have as his citizens in the world because of who we are. We are the salt of the earth. And similar to the effect salt has on food, Christ's disciples, you and I, are to have a preserving effect on the broken and confused world we live in. How? How do we have a preserving effect like salt on the broken and confused world we live in? By living out the values of the kingdom of God. We need to preserve the standards that God has set and established for mankind in his word and not waver from those. Not just amongst fellow believers when we gather together on Sunday mornings or gather together in our DCs on Sunday night, but even more importantly, we need to preserve these standards established in God's word among those who are perishing. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 says of us. As citizens of God's kingdom, we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And if you think about who you are as the salt of the earth, and if you think about who you are to God, I, my life, Calvin Coffat's life is an aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming. How, how does God expect me to be, that, to be that type of an influence? I know who I am. I know my weaknesses. Well, if you're feeling overwhelmed with this great responsibility 
simply inherit because of your identity as the salt of the earth, I want you to listen to what Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 8. Listen closely. Here's how we do it. His divine power. Did you hear that? Not your divine efforts. Not my divine efforts. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. Listen, this is how we're able to live out the values of the kingdom that we belong to. Through his power, we are able to participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, brothers and sisters, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual effect, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, listen to this, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the core values we have as a church here at Calvary Baptist Church is we acknowledge that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ to be a witness, to be a witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we believe showing people Christ is who we are is essential. We believe showing people Christ is who we are is essential. So in the case of the disciples that day, Jesus was telling them to be effective in who he said they were meant that they would need to be in close contact with people who were actually perishing. Do you remember how Jesus answered the Pharisees when they voiced their concern to his disciples that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors in Mark chapter 2? How did Jesus respond to that concern these religious leaders had of how he was being the salt of the earth? Jesus said to them in Mark 2, 17, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, in order for salt to effectively preserve meat or fish in the ancient world, and even in parts of our world today, the lack of refrigeration requires more than just a sprinkling of salt on the meat or the fish. What is needed is for the salt to actually be rubbed into the meat and into the fish so that it is completely covered. And this is how the Lord convicted me this week. The picture of this preserving process of rubbing the salt into the meat, completely covering the fish made me wonder if those in our circles of influence who are perishing are fully benefiting from who we are as the salt of the earth? Do they simply get a sprinkling of the kingdom of God from us at Christmas and Easter? Or do they get a continual opportunity to come in contact with the life-changing values of the kingdom of God on a daily basis as they rub shoulders with us? Are we simply giving them a sprinkling or are we rubbing the truth of the values of the kingdom of God into their lives as we daily interact with them. Because God's strategy is that through the presence of his people, living out faithfully the values of his kingdom, how? Through his divine power, 
Those who are perishing will come in contact with the life-changing power of Christ and be preserved themselves. I like how Charles Price correctly says there's only one ultimate alternative to the state of perishing, and that is replace the process with another process, eternal life. Only receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord can halt and replace the process of perishing. And as the salt of the earth, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, that Christ has committed to us the salt of the earth, followers of his, kingdom of his citizen. We have been committed the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, although, as though God were making his appeal through us. We've heard this taught all through our lives if you've been in the church. You're the salt of the earth. But this week, for some reason, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it just impacted me to help me to realize, whoa, by God's grace and through his empowerment, I, as a follower of Jesus Christ, have a critical role to those who are perishing in this world. We have to take it seriously. And you'll see we don't have a choice because it's our nature. It's who Jesus says we are. And so we've been committed with this message of reconciliation. And so as the salt of the earth, I encourage you, I encouraged myself this week. We need to daily through our actions and through our words be effective witnesses to the only way to stop the curse of perishing in our broken and confused world. And that way is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. To be effective as the salt of the earth, we must be in contact with those who are perishing. Listen to how Paul lived out his life as the salt of the earth. I want to read to you a description of his life in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, living as the salt of the earth, I might save some. I do all this, Paul says, for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. That's what living like the salt of the earth looks like. I need to be rubbing shoulders with people who are perishing in order for who Christ says I am to actually be effective. Then you notice in the second half of verse 13, Jesus seems to indicate to his disciples that salt can become ineffective in its purpose as a preserving influence. Look at verse 13 with me. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. What is Jesus getting at here? Knowing that pure salt cannot lose its saltiness because sodium chloride is a stable compound, what lesson was Jesus trying to teach them through this 
impossible statement that salt can lose its saltiness. Well, what he was doing through this impossible statement was making a distinction for his disciples between pure salt and impure salt. You see, impure salt can easily be mistaken for pure salt, but because it is contaminated with minerals and other impurities, it is good for nothing. This was actually common of the salt that was collected in the Dead Sea area. It looked like the real thing, but it was incapable of having a preserving effect on food because of the impurities and the minerals in it. That's why it says in verse 13, it's good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. They would actually take that salt from the Dead Sea area and throw it on the pathways where people would walk because at least it helped to keep the vegetation down. It looked like the real thing, but it was incapable of having a preserving effect. Does that sound similar to the Pharisees and the scribes who looked like the real thing but really weren't? They attempted in their own strength to put the flavoring of the kingdom of God in front of people, but their salt was only an external flavoring because it did not come from changed hearts. Listen to what Jesus says about these religious leaders posing as the salt of the earth. These people in Matthew 15, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. It's a very convicting verse. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Where's your heart? Where's my heart? We have honored Christ with our lips this morning, but where are our hearts? And so Jesus is setting up this distinction between pure and impure salt, and then he says to his disciples, but you, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. The real thing, people made new by the life of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, like pure salt, disciples, authentic disciples, cannot lose their saltiness because of their nature. And they remain effective as, as a preserving influence in the world by remaining and abiding in Christ. Imposter disciples cannot be made salty again because they never had the kingdom life in the first place. And so the challenge then for those of us who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ is to daily be examining our nature of our lives and to confess, am I daily being transformed by the kingdom of God? Because being the real thing is what will impact our effectiveness of who we are, which Jesus says is the salt of the earth. The second reality of kingdom citizenship that Jesus declares to his disciples that day is followers of Christ are the light of the world. Here we see Jesus again painting a vivid picture in the minds of his disciples to help them understand the vital nature of their influence in the world. I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict each of us as we leave this building today, I have a vital influence in this world because of who Jesus says I am. We are not only the salt of the earth, but we are also the light of the world. And similar to salt, which has a preserving effect, light also has an effect in that it illuminates darkness. How many of you have experienced darkness? I'm talking physical darkness. Growing up in Africa, it's dark. 
And having a farm in Quadville, Ontario, where there's no city lights around anywhere, it's dark. And you appreciate light. And I remember the first time we realized that our son, Daryl, I asked for his permission to tell this, uh, that he was night blind. We have an A-frame cottage that my grandfather and my dad built in 1967 before they left for the mission field. For those of you who are carpenters, you'll appreciate it. uh, They call beams, yes, beams that form the uh, frame are 26 feet with no joints. And they were all cut like this. My dad and my uh, grandfather cut them. The local sawmill had to cut a hole in the end of their sawmill to be able to get them to length. So 26-foot beams, and it's a tin roof. So imagine how nice it is to sleep in a good Ontario thunderstorm in the summer. It's awesome. It's just fantastic. But I remember sitting there one night as a family just telling stories and sharing memories together, and all of a sudden you hear pop, 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 pop. And I knew what was going on. The generator had run out of gas. And it ran out of gas, and all of a sudden, I won't do it because I don't want to affect your hearing, we heard this blood-curdling scream, and it was Daryl. And he was literally sitting on the couch screaming. Imagine how someone screaming in a tin roof is going to echo through a cottage. It was incredible. And so all of a sudden, my dad, because he's also night blind, grabbed his flashlight and just turned it on and let the light shine up into the peak of the A-frame. And the effect of light illuminating the darkness for Daryl was instant. He just was able to calm down. And that's when we started to realize he's probably night blind like my father and like my oldest brother. But it got me thinking, those in our community are spiritually blind. They're walking in darkness. They are afraid. They might not show it to you, but they are afraid and they are screaming in their homes in despair. And Jesus says, you... You are the light of the world. Go illuminate the darkness. And the effect of you illuminating the light of the kingdom of God in their lives, you will be amazed at the effect that it will have on them. Jesus' declaration to his disciples that you are the light of the world is interesting, isn't it? Because do you remember one of the I am statements Jesus said of himself in John? Did Jesus not say that I am the light of the world? Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. So which one is it? Is it Jesus or is it us? Who's the light of the world? Jesus says you are the light of the world, but we know John says, Jesus' own words are, I am the light of the world. Well, later in John chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus clarifies his statement regarding the light of the world when he says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Ah, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And none of us here this morning would ever underestimate the critical role that Jesus had in coming to the world to enlighten all people so that those believing in him will no longer walk in darkness. But somehow, similar to not fully recognizing or fully understanding or embracing the implications of being the salt of the earth, I this week realized I probably have not fully appreciated and have not fully embraced the reality and the implications of being who Jesus says I am. Calvin, you are the light of the world. Oh, Calvary Baptist Church, you are the light of the world. The world is in darkness. We are the light. So how does this work? Well, in the same way Jesus' life and message of salvation brought light into those in darkness like you and I, so we as his disciples are to be a living demonstration of the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. 
And as one author correctly put it, the implication of what Jesus was telling them is so clear. While I am here in terms of bringing illumination to the world, you will be when I am not here. What I am, you are to be, not become, not imitate. You are to be because of the very nature of who you are as citizens of my kingdom. You are the light of the world. But what is critical to understand, brothers and sisters, this morning is we, listen closely, we are never the light in and of ourselves. We are never the light in and of ourselves. We are light because we are in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 and 10. Listen, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. There's those kingdom values. And find out what pleases the Lord. Christ is the true light of the world. We as his disciples, as his followers, are also the light of the world, but in a secondary sense in that our light is derived from the true light of the world. Apart from Christ, we are not light. We are not light apart from Christ. Similar to a light bulb does not emit light by itself. It imparts light as it is connected and turned on so that the electric current generated in the powerhouse is transmitted to it. It does not emit light by itself. You take that same bulb and detach it from the electrical supply, and there may be nothing wrong in and of itself with the bulb, but it cannot shine. Likewise, to be effective as the light of the world Christ followers must remain in close fellowship, in close contact with the true spiritual powerhouse, the true light of the world, Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us in John 15, verse 4 and 5, how to do that. He says, remain in me. Abide in me as I also remain in you. No branch or no bulb, let's say for in our context this morning, can bear fruit or bear light by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You can't live out the values of the kingdom as citizens of the kingdom of God unless you are remaining in Christ. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the critical truth that we must grasp this morning. If we are going to be effective in bringing the light of Christ to a broken and confused world that we live in, we have to understand that we are not the source of that light. We are simply connected by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, we bear the responsibility for the extent to which the light is visible to the world, But it is not self-produced. It derives from a source, and his name is Jesus. We are simply light possessors who become light transmitters. We bear the light of Christ living in us. And he goes on to use two more very effective pictures. 
He says, just like a little town built on a hill cannot be hidden. You try hiding that. It's impossible. Just like salt, true pure salt can't lose its saltiness, you cannot hide a city on a hill. So the light of the kingdom of heaven and followers of Christ as it is lived out through his power is impossible to hide. Did you hear that? It's impossible to hide. It must be visible to everyone. And if no one is noticing the light in us, that should be a big red flag. And just like a lit lamp put under a bowl is not hidden, that makes no sense. It's illogical to light a lamp and then put a bowl over it. But rather, the scripture says in verse 14, they put it on a stand so that it gives light to everyone in the room. So the light of the kingdom of heaven and followers of Jesus Christ must radiate to others. We still use coal or lanterns in our farm so that there's some light in the night when the generator is shut off. And on those cold nights where it's minus 15 and 3 in the morning, Jen graciously wakes up to go and restock the fire with wood, there's some light. And you'll be amazed how much light radiates from a little coal or lantern that is placed up on a shelf or up on the mantle of a fireplace. And by using these two images of a city on a hill and a lamp on a stand, Jesus illustrates for his disciples and for us today that as the light of the world, we are to be, because of our nature, both visible and radiant to those around us. And so he gives them these two realities of kingdom citizenship. And then he wraps up in verse 16 by giving them an expectation of kingdom citizenship. Let your light shine before others. As we live out in our daily lives who we are, we are the light of the world, both visibly and radiantly. It will have an effect on society. It will have an effect on society. I witnessed it last week as I drove with the funeral director to the uh, committal service of one of our sisters who went to be with the Lord. And the conversation this person had is, we ha I haven't seen love and support from a community of people in over two years like what I saw today when I was at the church with your people. We don't see fellowship. We don't see people caring for one another. In fact, most of them are even avoiding having funeral services. But because we lived out through the power of Christ, the hope that we have, and we, we did that. How did Jesus say they'll know my disciples? They'll know it by your love for one another. This is what this funeral director saw and was communicating back. And I was like, light of the world. That was light of the world activity. That was salt of the world activity. And it will have an effect. Others will notice, the scripture says, your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Others will notice your good deeds because you are salt and because you are light and because you remain in me. But where does the glory go? It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about the glory of God who has made this all possible. Fully recognizing the significance of who we are in Christ, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and living those realities out through his empowering, we have the privilege to be used of God to be made an appeal to God for those who are perishing. Isn't that an incredible privilege? God wants to use your life this week to appeal to those who are perishing. Give them some preserving hope. 
give them some light of the kingdom of God. We not only carry the light of the gospel, brothers and sisters, but we are the light. We speak the truth, as one author says. I love what they wrote. We speak the truth of the gospel for people to know it, but we are also called to live the truth of the gospel so people can see that it is real. It's who we are. Showing people Christ is who we are. You know, it's easy for us to look at the world and to blame other people for the problems we see happening. But this morning, I pray through Jesus' words to his disciples that day on the Galilean mountainside, you and I have been convicted that he used the word you in this passage to remind us of the expectation God has for us to be the light. We must show people a different way in a broken and confused world. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand this is who you are. He wanted them to understand the vital role they play in a broken and fallen world. Brothers and sisters, the world needs to be salted. The world needs to be illumined. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine. Father, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy in our lives. When I think back to who I was, Lord, walking in darkness, and by your grace in grade seven allowed me to hear the message of Jesus Christ and gave me the gift of faith to believe in him as my Lord and Savior, I'm humbled that you would call me the salt and light of the world. But that's who you said we are. Father, help us to recognize that. Help us to embrace that. This is who we are. And through your strength and through your power living in us, it is who we can be. Have the effect on those who are perishing around us, Father. Lord, I pray through your power in our lives, living out the values of your kingdom as the salt of the earth and the light of the world, that, Father, many people in Oshawa, Ajax, Bowmanville, wherever we live, many people will see our good deeds and glorify you, our Father in heaven. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I said in the early service, if that doesn't light your light bulb, I think you're not connected. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Just think about that. Embrace it. Act on it. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's who we are. And it's what the world desperately needs. And it will make all the difference. So in his power, go this week and let your light shine visibly, radiantly, and watch what he will do and who he will preserve through your obedient living out the values of his kingdom. May God bless you. Thank you for making it a priority to come to church this morning. And those of us joining online, thank you for joining us. Let us go and let our light shine before others. Amen? Amen. God bless you.